Hey guys, Tasneem here, and welcome back to the Unfazed with Tazzy Faye podcast. Today's episode is one that you do not want to miss. Yasmin Al Hadi is the love guru. <laughs> Lols, that's my title for her, not what she sent in as a bio. But you may have already come across her Instagram marital nuggets of wisdom, or maybe you've already come across her stand up comedy, or maybe she's even set you up with the love of your life. But even if you haven't come across her before, I can assure you, she knows her stuff. She has a bachelor's in neuroscience and behavioral biology from Emory University, but she read the most about relationships after experiencing a divorce back in 2012. She's also been matching since 2007, and she learned a lot about compatibility and reverse engineering the process. So I really enjoyed this interview. I reached out to her because I was making this video on the difficulties of finding a spouse, and she responded right away when I asked her to participate. So she's awesome. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, I think you'll learn a lot from it. So here it is. Can you just tell people just a little bit about yourself, just a quick blurb about who you are? Yeah, my name is Yasmin Nhadi, um, at Yazguru on Instagram. I try to help people through laughter and through um, unassuming, we'll say unassuming ways, uh, ask bigger questions about love, about life, and about their futures. Um, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by training, but I'm also a relationship expert who has been a matchmaker for over a decade. <laughs> I did it for 13 years and then quit uh, and have tried now my throwing my hat into the stand-up comedy realm. Okay, cool. Um, so with your export, expert experience, um, and even from your personal experience, so talking to somebody who's getting married in like three, four weeks, um, what is your biggest piece of advice um, for someone before the wedding? Like how can they prepare? Um, how do you yeah. feel that they can prepare before that big transition? So it's, I always talk to everybody um, who is interested in, in pairing for life to take it just as seriously as the wedding planning. So, you know, a lot of us, we want to make sure our dress is perfect. We will order it six months in advance, a year in advance sometimes, you know, and we're not thinking about, okay, well, do, have I set up like premarital counseling so that I've established care? Premarital counseling is not as, it's not as important about the questions that they're going to ask you in premarital counseling as the fact that you have now an established healthcare mental health care provider. So that when, not if, when the issues arise in the future, now you've established care with somebody who knows the both of you and can speak to resolving things in kind of a dispassioned, uninterested, disinterested way. Um, I don't want to say uninterested because your therapist should be interested in you, but a, a disinterested way, a, a, a one that uh, is impartial your friends and your family are your cheerleaders. They love you. So when you go to them with your marriage trouble or your marriage problems, which will occur, they are going to paint a certain picture about your spouse. So an attempt to have premarital counseling help sidestep the very natural inclination to go talk to the people that you love the most about your problems. And instead, going to a professional to talk about your problems helps you protect your spouse from any maybe fleeting negative thought, you know, any fleeting negative feeling that you may have against them that your family or friends would hold on to. And then also to have a spiritual advisor. And I would say a list of spiritual advisors, like your top four hits, like your top three or four people that 
you really respect their religious advice, you respect the way that they answer questions. This could be people in your community. It could be obviously people in the online space as long as they're accessible. But that's really important too. So my biggest piece of advice is make sure that you go in with the right preparation for the storm before the storm forms so that you understand that there are, there, there's a game plan, right? And there are steps that you're both going to take that you both agree to before the problem starts so that you can find a resolution um, that doesn't involve an entangle. Not to, I, now I can't even use that word anymore. Entanglement. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But it's not supposed to mean an affair. That's right. not what, but it's one of the synonyms, I guess. So anyhow. <laughs> But it doesn't entangle or ensnare is the better word to ensnare your family or friends feelings towards yourselves. Okay. And so kind of going off of that, I actually have two questions. One, um, you know, for like people who may be immigrants or children of immigrants or people who are Muslim, um, do you have any recommendations as to how to go about finding someone or does it not matter what they're you know, I think some people might, even when I look for a therapist, I think that's something that I consider is when I talk to them, am I going to have to explain myself? Sure. So yeah, what's your recommendation as far as that? And then my other question also would be, um, if your partner is not really interested in counseling or doesn't see the value in it, how do you kind of convince them? Yeah. Okay. So to answer your first question, you should always uh, be, you know, take it seriously, just as serious as, again, picking out all of the, the flatware for, you know, the place settings, you should be thinking very seriously about who you, you feel has a cultural competency to best serve you because they're in a service industry. And so you're attempting to find someone that you can connect to. Sometimes people have no problem explaining, you know, their background and uh, a person who's very understanding and someone that they feel comfortable with can get it. But some people don't want to spend the time having to explain themselves or they feel like that's burdensome. And so to pick somebody who, who comes from a similar like immigrant background or has a similar faith background helps. Some people kind of skip past that. It all depends on your comfort level. Like for me, you know, my first therapists um, were Muslim like myself. And I realized like I actually was not connecting with them. And I then had some non-Muslim therapists that I pinged back to some Muslim therapists that I did feel like I really connected with. So I I think the most important thing is um, that you shop around and that you have conversations with different people, consultations, to see if it's a right fit. You need to find the right fit, just like you took you a while to find the person that you are are in love with, right? And and um, and willing to commit your life with the person that is is entrusted with the care for that life partnership, that life commitment should be somebody that you've talked to before. Yeah. Um, I also will say that, uh, I really like Gottman certified professionals. Um, I do often recommend them not for premarital counseling, but for, uh, post, um, marital issues. Like say you never went to premarital counseling, like so many people don't, um, especially in, our, in the older generation, millennials and like older, uh, not, I guess your generation Z maybe. Um, I'm millennial. Are you millennial? Oh yeah. yeah. I just, I just look like I'm just look really super like, young. Okay. No, I'm 91. Like, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about how good you look. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Comparison to old me. But I will take it. That's fine. You look 12. Uh, mashallah. So what I was going to say is like, you know, a lot of people did, did not do perimeteral counseling, but Gottman certified professionals are trained in really thinking about conflict. And they, and they, and they look at what does that 
what does the conflict between you actually mean, especially when it compares to really fantastic data-driven results on conflicting and separating and divorcing couples? So it, it places you with some benchmarks and understanding what are other people arguing about that really like sinks their relationship. So they have something called the four horsemen, which we can talk about later if you want, but you know, let's keep it light right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so how do you, uh, and, and for premarital counseling, I really do recommend people who are um, like licensed. So okay. I really recommend people who have, uh, you know, even chaplains, chaplaincy, uh, go, they go through a licensure for uh, counseling. So some chaplains will do it. Um, but, you know, somebody who is a licensed clinical social worker, a clinical psychologist, you know, someone who has um, a master's in, uh, in family therapy, you know, uh, okay. marriage and family therapy, go to somebody who, who has the training. Now, in terms of convincing yourself to do that, okay, so uh, I really would tell them that just like we came into this with a lot of care, and if you bought a refrigerator, you'd buy a warranty plan, not because you think the refrigerator is going to break. Right. It's not because you're walking and thinking this fridge is definitely going to break <laughs> down in the middle of us trying to get ice cubes. But it's saying, I need to buy a warranty plan because it's probably smart. And other refrigerators have broken. Maybe half. Up to half. Right? right. Because that's our, that's our national divorce rate. Um, so I would just simply state that this is about caring for something really special. And this is about investing in your future. So that the single most important decisions that, you, that you're going to make is one that you're not really making alone, but that you're doing as a community with support, with a structure, and with help. And to say that you think that you're above that in some way is an arrogance that true love and care and emotion has no room for. Just like religion, when it comes to matters of of religion, deen, aqidah, there's no room for arrogance. There's none. Mm. So how can you walk into a marriage that's supposed to be half of your faith Mm. if you're Muslim? That's half of your faith because the other half you were building and now you're going to test the half in the marriage. How can you walk into that with arrogance thinking, I don't need any help. I got this. It's, I got this boo. It's all on me. Like, like really? Like you can't, you don't want to get like a hand. You don't want to have any kind of support. So um, the final thing I was going to say too, is that if, if, especially if it's somebody who is a person of faith or, or understands their place uh, in the universe as being one that, is a part of it like a spiritual reality that's bigger than them, then they understand that there's a prophetic reality that, you know, people who want to model themselves for, um, you know, the best of humanity, right? The best examples understand that all those individuals had a community behind them. They were not lone wolves. They didn't live, you know, isolated or under a rock somewhere. They had very beautiful societal support and communal networks that help them get through things. And I really want to say this to women, especially we have such a beautiful tradition of how women assisted each other from everything from the actual birthing process, you know, the premarital, the premarital sex talks, there were women that talked about that. There were women that helped you birth the baby. There were women that helped you when you were on your cycle. There were women that helped you breastfeed that baby. There were women that helped you raise that baby. So I just want to say that the more that we isolate ourselves, the more that we, I think, walk away from what we're, we're really like pre-modern kind of realities, I think the more we're going to feel like we're losing our mind. Mm. 
So this is just about a little, it's a little, it's a little sanity check. Mm-hmm. We care so much about our physical health, care about your mental health too, because if this is not right, if this is not right, your body will stop functioning properly. Right. No, that's, that's all really good stuff and some really good points. And thank you for that advice. Just in your own experience, um, what are some things that you see couples do at this particular stage that could really set them up for failure um, or that they should be avoiding doing? So one of the biggest things is that some people have really strong emotional responses to things, like especially if you don't have a lot of relationship experience or you know it's your first marriage um, where you don't really understand what that commitment looks like. They have very strong emotional responses to things that don't matter, okay? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like, oh, your mom said what? Like, oh, girl, your mom's going to do a lot worse than that. You know what I mean? Like, get over it for a second. So I, I just think that some people have very unrealistic expectations like, you know, if I, you know, if this bothers me, I'm going to make a very like big deal about it. And then the things that really matter, you sort of, it's like you have a blind spot to them. So I do think that, um, one of the things, for example, that people fall into is, is, is the wedding planning part. And while weddings are very important and they're beautiful celebrations of happiness and joy, I think they can really be the spreaders of evil in our society. I think that wedding culture can be toxic. We have some toxic wedding culture uh, within the Muslim community here in the United States. Um, I just see some of the parties that they throw. I see some of the money that is just being just (laughs) doled out uh, at at creating these unrealistic expectations of what even marriage is going to look like, you know, and then, and then the, the music is, the music stops and, you're together and uh, things aren't working, you know, and, and you don't see eye to eye on whatever. And, you know, he's annoying the way he chews. Oh, I <laughs> like that all the time in the morning or the way she smells or whatever. And suddenly um, it's really hard to, uh, to be given with one another because you had, or, or to even be, or to even be like, you're so emotionally exhausted from all of the like wedding prep or these, or these emotional explosions about things that like didn't or weren't perfect that maybe you forgot to talk to each other about compatibility when it comes to this, or you forgot to talk to each other about like the bonds of forgiveness that are going to bind you. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, you're going to have a weekly check-in every week where you talk about what really worked well this week and what kind of sucked. And you're going to talk about it when you're not angry. Okay. You're going to file it away. You know, I, I see a lot of people setting themselves up for failure because they want to emotionally react in that moment. They want an instant response from their spouse. You, you just let that happen, like right in front of me? Or you just talk to her like that? Like, um, maybe you should like talk to your man, not in public or not in front of his family about that thing that bothered you. And maybe you guys can do it on like a weekly basis so that you do sweat the small stuff. You can talk about the things that bother you. But you know what? Even when you step back for a second, you realize... Oh, I like actually shouldn't be so bothered about that. Like, or I misunderstood that, you know, or, you know, I actually, I wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about the context there, but now that I've stepped away from it for a second and thought about it, I realized I'm so happy I didn't say something because I can't take it back. So one of the things I think really sets people up for failure, sometimes they have these emotional outbursts. They say things that, um, if they just probably step back and give it 24 hours, they wouldn't say out loud and you can't take back 
the stuff you say out in the universe, Mm -hmm. especially if it's not to your spouse directly, but especially if it's to their friends or their Mm -hmm. family or the people that really love them. Because the people who are the champions of your spouse, when you say things to them that rub them the wrong way, you say it in an emotional way. You say it in a way that maybe you didn't even need it that way, but it came off angry because it was angry. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly the cat's out the bag and I can't, I can't actually seek that forgiveness. And I want to say the final thing. Um, so aside from the toxic wedding culture and the emotional outbursts, things like that, I just want to say that sometimes people think that love is just, you, it demands to be unconditional. Like, obviously you're going to love me no matter what. Duh. Like, obviously, like my in-laws are going to treat me like their daughter. (laughs) Like, obviously I'm the new son. I should be treated as a king in this family. Like, step back for a second and understand that your relationships are highly conditional. And everyone around you is like people you need to impress for a little bit. For a little bit. You know, until you gain some trust in a relationship. Think about your best friends. Think about your lost long longest lasting relationships. How long did it take you? How many like drama filled moments happen for you to be like, Oh, like I actually, they do have my back or like, wow, I really can't trust this person. I need to have like a really deep conversation with them about how that really violated my trust and let's see how they react. So once that occurs, then you can start building some unconditional points, but everything is very conditional in the beginning. Um, sometimes people demand like, Oh, you've got to love my parents. Like I love them. Well, what are you doing for their parents? Like, what what are you displaying in a relationship so that you're giving them markers for someone else of how to be? Every single day, we are choosing who we are and we are choosing how to be and we are choosing how to express that to a spouse that's watching. This is very important for parents because later you're going to become parents. Later, you're going to probably have children. Let's hope that everyone is blessed with the blessing of children who can handle them, right? You are choosing every single day to teach them how to be. And I'm not saying to patronize your spouse and to make them, you know, in a condescending way. But the the way we walk the walk and not just talk the talk is so critical in all of our relationships, but especially our romantic ones and our familial ones. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think think the... uh, the thing about emotional art outbursts or reactions really resonated me as well as this idea of conditional love, because at the end of the day, at least for me also, like our families are kind of strangers to each other. Yes. Um, and so you know, strangers it's, you're trying to impress. The, right. That's what I say. No, that's the word strangers you're trying to impress. Right. So I think that's and they're learning each other, right? They're learning each other. Yeah. They're learning. Yeah. And I mean, and then, and then the couple themselves, I'm sure in some ways we're also strangers that we don't even we don't even realize it, but you know, in some ways we're probably strangers as well. Um, yeah, but yeah. Well, you're going to learn so much. I know that's what everyone tells me. Everyone's like, like you, you like don't to, know him. You like to load the, the toilet paper like that? Like you're, <laughs> under? you're a toilet under? <laughs> I'm a toilet paper over. Duh. Yeah, I don't even know what I am to be honest. My, my husband always throws out the trash. We've been married for almost seven years. My husband always throws out the trash. Do you think that he puts a trash bag there? <laughs> Why? Drive me Why nuts. would I put it back? I threw it out. Yeah. That should be enough. <laughs> and it's just, it's one of those things that still bothers me, <laughs> but I don't yell mm-hmm. immediately at him. I just yell in the moment. I yell at the trash can and then it's gone. 
Okay. That's good. That's good. I'm going to, I'm going to take that yeah, and just try to like yell at the inanimate object, but like <laughs> absorb it. <laughs> All right. For sure. Moving on to the idea of, or not the idea, but the concept of the video about, you know, finding a spouse and why it's difficult. Um, I know that you have a lot of matchmaking experience, so I kind of wanted to just pick your brain a little bit. Um, on what you've seen, because you've probably seen it from a perspective that a lot of people haven't, whether it's matchmaking apps, whether it's the you know process of aunties or whatever it may be. Um, what are the challenges that you really f- see the most um, in that whole process for Muslims? Or, you know, what's yeah. the biggest barrier for finding someone who is kind of on your same wavelength? I think um, Muslims really struggle uh, in this, but to be honest, not non-Muslims do too. So it's a, it's been a global struggle to f- to seek connection and to find connection. Ironically, as technology has advanced in connecting us, right? Uh, and I think it's because people don't know how to be. They don't know how to act right. But then you you can you 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 compound these relationship woes, uh, or the the woes of like trying to find somebody on your wavelength, like you said by very little relationship experience where you're actually having to day in and day out. You don't just walk out. You haven't just like pieced out and just been like, yeah, or ghosted somebody where you just don't even have to talk to them. You Mm -hmm. just like don't respond anymore that this is, you know, a a, a sort of a sad reality. I want to say from the app swiping phenomenon, because I think it teaches you that you have endless choice which is a false narrative, endless choice. You may have a lot of people that you could find attractive, mm-hmm. but not a lot of people that are going to also be compatible with you, right? right. On, a, on a real level. And I think it also, it creates a situation where it becomes awkward sometimes to know how to connect with someone in person. So I can have this whole text relationship with somebody, which is a very manicured relationship. I'm thinking I can delete, I can add an emoji. I can, you know, I can be cute about it. Oh, I'm sending a, um, I don't know if you want to say GIF or GIF or whatever, you know, or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to tailor make my message. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to somebody, you can't tailor make your emotions. You can't tailor make your responses, right? You can't send an emoji instead of saying something. You'll look weird. You'll look mm-hmm. like a weirdo. So I think that um, that's a second big problem, I want to say, in, the, um, in the, the searching for a spouse. And by the way, these are the ones that are not associated with our culture, specifically, or our parents, because they they're the other really major issues. <laughs> are the two, the two uh, or here's the third, actually. Two major issues. The third issue is expectations, right? So if you have very little relationship experience, you actually have all, you have usually the longest laundry list of things you want. So it's like, okay, you want all of that in a human, like a human, one human being that does all those things, but we're watching TV. Oh, I married my best friend. I don't think you need to marry your best friend. I think you need to marry somebody that you could feel very close to. You can trust and you can enter into a friendship with, but you know how you have like a best friend, keep that best friend. That's your best friend. You don't have to tell everything to your spouse and they don't have to intellectually stimulate you and, you know, uh, love you real good and, you know, teach you everything and make you a better Muslim and also give you the skills that you always wanted in debate class. It's like, how can one human being, you're setting the human being up for some failure. Uh, I think human beings are inherently disappointing. Mm -hmm. So if the basis of, walking to a relationship is like, they're going to meet all these check marks. Just understand like you don't meet those check marks. You might think you do, 
but maybe someone just thinks you missed the mark completely. So I, I don't think there's a lot of self-awareness in that or the understanding that a human being can really can't, will never be your everything and they never were meant to be your everything. And that's why we have communities to meet our very different needs. So, okay. Those I think are the, some, some of the personal issues. So I think the online space makes you think you have endless choice, which is false, false, endless choice perception. Number two, you can fall in love with someone in this very curated way, a manicured way, texting, emailing, whatever, you know, and you don't actually know how to do or be in a relationship or do a relationship in person because you don't know how to deal. You need to step away. You know, you, you don't know how to edit your feelings right in that moment because you didn't maybe base your relationship on that, that interaction. I think again, that's a, uh, I think that's a result of technological advancement and lack of connection. And then mm -hmm. finally that you have a laundry list of expectation when you have very little relationship experience, but there's some other things that are playing against you too. Families, especially immigrant families to the United States, or even families that are indigenous to the United States who are Muslim, I'm going to talk specifically in the Muslim context, have a very specific notion of the fact, like of who their children will marry. They, all they know is controlling and, and, and sort of, um, editing someone's family, someone's look, someone's height, someone's skin color, someone's ethnicity and language means that it, it will be easier because marriage is already hard. So like, let's just make it easier. And if I know my kid better than, than anyone else. And we've lived as a minority in this country for so long. So like, let's try to control this environment as much as possible because if it gets out of our control, who knows if our children will remain Muslim? Who knows if our children will be happy? The divorce rate is insane. We don't want our children to get divorced. So the parents are so heavily involved mm -hmm. in our context in wanting to control because, uh, you know, they're afraid of the negative outcomes that the rest of society is experiencing in marriage that sometimes they, they ruin their children's real prospects of like happiness based on things that are important to them or important to their children. You know, all of this, all of this, this is my fifth most important overarching point is in an, is in a canopy of the visual. So we're in a visual culture today more than we've ever been in the history of mankind. We are bombarded with images every single day of who we should idolize, admire. Now it's, it's like it's handheld. It's on the phone. We, we take it before it was just maybe in the magazine aisles or maybe it was when you turn on the TV, but now it's with us all the time, 24 seven. Mm -hmm. So as a result, no one wants to give anybody a real chance if they're not attracted to them in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> Right. Why would I talk to that person? Instead of remembering the fact that attraction is a matrix, you mm -hmm. fall in and out of attraction with even your spouse. And even the spouse that you're with, you will find other people attractive. But what keeps you in the relationship is all those beautiful, good qualities about them. It's the emotional connection you have to them. It's the, it's the amount of crap y'all waded through to keep your life together. It's those children that you made together, you know? And it's finally... The fear of God in you, the God consciousness, let's be PC about it, okay? The God consciousness that you have that says, oh, there's going, this is ending, this is all going to go away, and then suddenly I'm going to have to be alone mm -hmm. and accountable for decisions that I made. So I don't need to hurt the person that I'm with here. If I don't want to be with them, let me walk out of this relationship instead of cheating on them with somebody else. Right. So I just think that the, the, the visual 
nature of our, of our, all of all of these interactions. And, you know, our parents are not immune to that. And they also come from cultures that are very, very affected by everything from self-hate because of colonialism to self-aggrandizement as well. Like mm-hmm. in, intense ethnic, um, centricism, central, um, ethnocentrism, right? Like right. intense national pride that doesn't, that doesn't really have a spiritual basis, you know, that doesn't have a real basis in anything that's lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean you're going to have children that are, you know, are supremely happy. So mm-hmm. I know that was a very long winded answer because our problem is very complex, my friend. Right. Right. And our problem is very complex. And, and all those problems that I just mentioned, non-Muslims deal with too in different, right. in differing degrees. But I do think that a lot of them, you know, they've entered into so many relationships that don't involve marriage. They've become these partnerships, you know, that they have with each other that don't involve marriage. And for Muslims, you know, we, we, we don't accept those as um, the ideal standard before mm-hmm. God, in the eyes of God. But even in those relationships where they have children, it, they don't last. You know, right. they don't last. And so, and some do, but I mean, half, half mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. Tough, yeah. tough odds. Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I think you're right. I mean, it's very complicated. And I actually read um, Aziz Ansari's Modern Love like a long time yeah. ago. And it's so it's and even when I read and ended the book, I was like, wow, there's like no conclusion to this. It's just you know. Yeah. I mean, so. and 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 for me, I mean, obviously, the only solution for me is is to increase your connection to what's real. Mm-hmm. The more that you fall into like illusion. Mm-hmm. the illusion of control or the illusion that, you know, the outer is what matters or it's what should draw you to somebody. And it should be, if that's not there, then why would I even give this person a chance? Right. The more you untether yourself from that and you understand that like character is what lasts and is what really matters when all of this ends, I think mm-hmm. the better odds you'll have at a successful relationship based on the correct principles. But it's very hard to convince young people of this because the younger, the younger the generation is, the more visual they are, the more this visual culture canopy envelops and blinds them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we are trying our best here to protect our children and tether them to a, a spiritual reality. Because if you are stuck in a world of illusions, how will you know it's real? Yeah, 100%. Um, so my last question that I'm going to ask you, um, also from the perspective of someone, you know, you say that you've, you've done a lot of matchmaking, mashallah, you've had a lot of success in that. So my 54th couple. Wow. Girl. That is really impressive. So I really want to know from you, um, from the perspective of a matchmaker, successful, mashallah. Um, how do you like retired? Retired. Retired. Okay. Everyone knows. As everyone, someone looking back, um, you know what? Excuse me. When you see two people, how do you gauge their compatibility? What makes you put them together? What are you like? This person and this person are just going to be. Okay, so this is such a good question. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm writing a little relationship workbook to help people with this. Okay, so I want to help reverse engineer my compatibility process so I can help people understand what is it that I'm doing that is bringing people together. And it really is about temperament. Like what are people's temperament? How do they approach a problem? Can they see eye to eye? 
I really believe in complementarity principles. So I believe that people should be compliments. I actually don't really like putting, to be honest, like two lawyers together, two doctors together. They have successful, beautiful marriages. I'm not saying that that's terrible or, you know, or, you know, two PhD, um, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm using, I'm like at the very top. It could be two teachers. It could be, you know what, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't have to be, those are also top professions, but they don't require, you know, millions of years of schooling. Uh, I would not necessarily put two people who are good at the same things and bad at the same things together, mm-hmm. or that will be inherently competitive with one another together. I don't think that that's a, a smart recipe for success, although it can be, although people can be successful, I want to increase the odds. So the way that I try my best to increase the odds of relationship success is to think, what is this person good at and what is this person good at? Can they see and appreciate what each other is good at and can they learn from one another so that they're deepening their relationship year by year so that they're challenged a little bit about their notion of what's the absolute truth or what is the absolute, you know, driver in life and can they actually really expand through this process so i do believe that that's one of the major things that i look at when i'm matching people i do also think of like uh other things too like sometimes dimensions are important so like okay so if i'm for for us and i know that this is like a very superficial thing but for some people um you know having a woman who's significantly taller than a man affects the psychology, okay. you know, that some, some couples don't feel comfortable in, in scenarios like that. Some don't mind at all. So yeah. that even goes into someone's temperament. Like how secure are they mm-hmm. and who they are? How much are they okay with themselves that they don't care if somebody is three or four inches taller than them or three or four inches shorter than them. It doesn't matter. Um, someone's family background. Some people are very, very cultural, even though they don't want to tell you that they're cultural. You know that they're cultural. The only clues that they choose are from their culture. They make jokes in their native tongue. They Mm -hmm. only watch films from their native countries. I'm not going to put someone like that with someone who's outside of their culture. Even if they look at me and they say, all that matters is like their faith. I'm like, oh yeah, is that why you only choose these restaurants? Like, Right. Right? So- (laughs) That's, that's somebody who I, I believe is uh, what we call like a, like a wish principle. Like you, you wish, you know, you, you um, aspirationally want to be something, but you are this other thing. You really want to be a filet mignon. You're chicken fingers. There's nothing wrong with chicken fingers. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, maybe you need a biscuit, you know, with your chicken fingers. Maybe mashed potatoes would be good with your chicken fingers, right? Chicken fingers and filet mignon. Does that sound good together? It's not. <laughs> no. Yeah, that makes sense. So just out of curiosity, um, yes. cause it sounds like you kind of have like this very in-depth, it's not I really do. like a surface level. So do you it's know a, these people yeah. like pretty well or do, are they clients like that you kind of make them take a test or how, how does that work? Yeah. So I do make people take a little, I have a little color quiz. So it's, it's called the color match theory. So okay. the colors of course want different temperaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm trying to uh, put this together in a book that will be published to, to help people with some compatibility questions as well. So I have 11 categories of compatibility that I believe are very important to discuss um, pre-commitment. Uh, and so these pre-commitment questions help you kind of explore each other and, and ask questions that maybe you wouldn't necessarily ask, uh, if you just don't want to 
think about all those things down the road. You know, like you want to talk about child rearing. You want to talk about, you know, how you define respect. You want to talk about financial literacy. Yeah, yeah, I want to talk about all that, you know, um, and not just like, oh my God, what's your favorite band? Like, oh my God, me too. Like, mm-hmm. cool. That's great. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't, that you could have, I, I always say this, you could have totally separate interests and you could have a very successful marriage because you create okay. interests together. What matters? Like that's not a test that you should do. Like if, when you're getting right before you're getting married, is that something that should be like a disqualifier? Like you guys take this test and you're like, uh, you know what? Well, I do. I, I talk about people's core values. So what I really, what I, what I want to say is that, um, it's this temperament quiz is about trying to get to people's core values and what drives them. Mm-hmm. And I have recommended to some people, this is really not a good match. And they, you know, my compatibility testing. So it's my consultancy side. So I've turned into a kind of a relationship consultancy. I try to give advice mm-hmm. and I try to, um, and I don't do what therapists do. I'm not a licensed counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't do emotional issues. I don't do addictions. I don't, all those things. You, you really need a provider, a mental health care provider. What I do is like, you're acting ratchet. Stop doing that. Or you're going to sink this ship or you guys really don't match. You don't match here, or this is going to be a problem between you two. That's what I do. Um, so the, the way that I do the tests, I try to get to people's aligning values. Are your core values really aligning? Even if your interests are very divergent, that's the question I want to know. And so I, I get people to do exercises. And so in this book, it'll go through a core value exercise. It'll go through the questions of compatibility. And it'll also go through this temperament quiz. And the hope is to get people to understand, like, you may be attracted to this, but it's actually not good for you, boo. Like, you okay. need to be over here. So that's the attempt. Um, yes, it's a little bit in-depth. I have had to reverse engineer, like I said, the process that I've been doing for, for over a decade to try to get to why I had a certain feeling about people. And then I got them to do the quiz, you know, not all my, not all my, uh, clients I knew, you know, but I needed to know like new in a, in a deep way, but I only worked through a referral net. I only worked through worked through a referral network and I only worked through people. At least one of them I had to know for at least a year. Okay. So, and then the other person I needed to know, if I didn't know you personally, I needed to have only one degree of separation. Someone else needed to know who you were. Okay. And, and have either traveled with you or worked with you or known you, you know, gone to school with you, worked on some whatever, some project. I, I want to know how people know you. And I think that those trust and networks are very important to go through, um, especially in this online world, navigating an online space. I don't knock the online space completely because for a lot of people, it's a huge godsend. It helps people find a, a spouse in you know, maybe a hopeless situation or a situation where it's very difficult to, um, to meet people in person, especially like COVID-19. How do you go yeah. and how do you go to communal spaces? You know? So I understand the value of an online space. It's just, we don't have trust. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is to try to build through trusted networks. I have a whole article on my blog, yesweaver.com. It's okay. called the dialogue. I can't quite shake. And in there I talk about things that people can actually do step-by-step in a, in a very, um, you know, we'll say in a very intentional way to try to find uh, a spouse that is compatible. And it includes prayer. It includes vision. It includes prayer in the middle of the night. You know, whether you're Muslim and even if you're not Muslim and, you know, they say like, you know, I don't pray, but I'm, I'm down on my knees tonight. Like, yeah. Like understand that we are at the mercy of God and there is nothing that we need more mercy in 
than in finding a romantic connection, a romantic compatible life partner and in our children and the blessing of children. Doctors will tell so many women and men, you're never going to be able to have kids. And guess what? These people, some, they had kids. Right. They weren't supposed to have kids. Okay. Because you're not in, you're in a, you're in the godly realm. Right. That's right. That makes sense. Thank Sorry, you so I, much. Uh, this was great. I wish you so much luck. Thank and you. I wish you ease, inshallah, and acceptance. And it's okay if it's not perfect, but your outdoor wedding is going to be lovely. Inshallah. Thank you so much. So that is the end of the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really appreciate the support so much. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me a rating and a review. It would help a ton. You guys can also check out my YouTube channel if you want to watch the video um, or the videos where a lot of these interviews are actually being featured. And uh, yeah, that's all I have, guys. Until next time, this is Tazzy Faye signing off. Bye.